0: Do you have any questions?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I'll I'll let you guide me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hello to everybody out there in podcast land. My name is Christopher, and you're listening to So Many Damn Books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. this episode we have sarah novich joining me in the damn library hyperspace zoom zone and i am so excited to be hosting her uh, sarah novich is the author of girl at war and america is immigrants she studied fiction and literary translation at columbia university and teaches creative writing and deaf studies at Emerson college and stockton university she lives with her family in Philadelphia, and her book, True Biz, is hitting the shelves this week, and I am just so excited to talk to you. I loved Girl at War. I loved True Biz. I've been t- thrusting it into people's hands, and I'm so excited to be talking to you about it.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I feel... I've been doing a lot of publicity stuff, but this is like my first nighttime publicity stuff.
0: Oh, nice. That's great. (laughs) Well, I mean, in that vein, I am so excited about the drink that I created inspired by your book. It's called Heaven on Ith. And so Ith is this concept, you know it, but the listeners might not, um, where it's earth (laughs) is based on around things you hear. And so for the deaf community, they have an idea, a utopian idea called Ith. And it's something that I just haven't been able to get out of my mind since I read your book. And so I wanted to make a drink that was visually beautiful. And I know that mixing blueberries and lemon creates this really lovely like violet color. And so I just wanted to make something visually stunning. And then, so um, I've, be- I've loved to jam cocktails. They're really, really easy um, because it's just jam, some citrus, and some liquor. And so this one is two ounces of a dry gin, three bar spoons of blueberry sumac jam, if you can get it. Bryn makes a really beautiful one. And then three quarters ounce of lemon juice. And you stir that all together first to sort of dissolve the jam and then shake it with ice and double strain it so you can get some of the seeds out of it. And it creates this very lovely drink here.
1: Oh, wow. That's beautiful.
0: (laughs) It's just, um, it's such a pretty drink. It really tastes delicious. And um, I also was excited about trying to find a three ingredient cocktail because your novel is a three ingredient cocktail with the um, the three <laughs> different points of view characters who are so exciting, and I already am sad that the book is over because I missed them. You made them <laughs> such real characters. So that is that's the drink, heaven on earth.
1: That looks really good. I'm jealous, and I <laughs> I actually like gin, which I think is not a popular opinion i get a lot of flack for for liking gin but i'm happy that gin is in this cocktail
0: oh yeah absolutely i'm a i love gin gin is probably my favorite spirit of all of them um although i mess with whiskey a lot but it's gin gin the most i i I think it's because the first cocktail i was ever really into was just a gin and tonic so what about you
1: yeah i love i love a gin and tonic
0: what was your first cocktail
1: I think my I think I was a vodka person first. For better, for worse, you know.
0: <laughs> Do you have a, a drink for the um for the recording today?
1: I just have water. Sad sadly. I'm a garbage person, so I just have water in a Dunkin' Donuts cup.
2: Just like
0: really <laughs> See, depressing. No, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, that's that's the other good cocktail to make at all times just ice water.
1: <laughs> water with like uh, some old
0: coffee. Oh, just the
1: uh, scents or something. <laughs> <you know>?
0: Yeah. <laughs> just the a little bit um just the just to remember. Well, the next part of the show uh deals heavily with consumerism because it's just a celebration of of mm-hmm. buying things. I
2: do, I do, I do, I do.
0: I've been very blessed by the mail, by the galley fairy, um, this past couple of weeks, and received uh, Karen Joy Fowler's new book, Booth, which Karen Joy Fowler um, is one of my absolute favorite authors. I loved her book, um, We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves, um, about a family living with a chimp. And she also was a professor of mine when I was at the UC, uh, UC Santa Cruz. And now she's got this new novel that's all about the um the Booth family, the John Wilkes Booth family. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And it's just following the family, of, like I, I believe it covers them before and after the assassination. So that's that sounds really intriguing. And then I also got this new book by Juno Dawson. Um, and it's called Her Majesty's Royal Coven. And it's about a a covert government department of witches who only answer to queen elizabeth <laughs> I, and it's pitched as the craft meets discovery of witches meets now and then and i just think Whoa. that those <laughs> the all of those um things working together seems like it could be a great great book
1: yeah that's a serious cocktail
0: <laughs> exactly uh so what about you what did you buy
1: well I, I went back to 2009 and I bought um, a webcam Whoa. <laughs> because I've been doing all these virtual things and before before that I bought what I thought was a really good deal on a on a laptop <laughs> which it was but the the camera inside of it is just like maybe one megapixel so it's <laughs> like um, so I had to, I had to buy a webcam and it really took me back to uh, the old Skype days of my youth.
0: Of cl- <laughs> clipping a little camera on clipping the top. Clipping it on.
1: I've yeah. got it clipped on right now. It doesn't even clip. I think they've really gone backwards in the clip <laughs> technology. It's like got something else going on, but um, now other people can see me.
2: So that's helpful. <laughs>
0: It is a it is a helpful um, for video chatting to 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 give some video as much as you're receiving some video.
1: Yeah, especially if you're signing, it's just it was a it was a bit of a mess. So, it's like, all right, fine, I guess I'm gonna buy a webcam.
0: Time to buy a webcam. Yeah, I mean, who knew that that was gonna be a part of like literary touring? At, um, you know, at this point.
1: Yeah, it was not what I was expecting, for sure.
0: I am so excited to talk about your new novel, True Biz. It's hitting shelves this week, and I would love to hear from you about um, what it's about.
1: Well, I guess I can tell you about the title. True, so tr- True Biz is an ASL idiom that is, it doesn't quite translate directly to one thing in English, but it can kind of mean literally or seriously or um, like dead ass is, <laughs> is one way that I personally like to translate it. Um, and so this book, I guess, is maybe like a version of that. It's it's some real real talk about the deaf community and it's a little bit weird because it doesn't quite translate or it might feel unfamiliar to a hearing reader in some ways but on the other hand it's also set you know at a boarding school a high school there's lots of universal themes running through it that I think that readers probably can identify of the teen angst variety and also of the you know approaching middle-aged angst variety that um, one of the perspectives is the the headmistress and she's got, she's got her own problems (laughs) going too. So I think, um, yeah, my, my goal was to kind of create, uh, a place that would challenge hearing readers to kind of reframe the things that they think about the deaf community, but in a really like plotty and fun kind of way as well. I guess that was my hope.
0: (laughs) Well, you succeeded in Spades. The three main characters, February, Austin, and Charlie, they all have different relationships to hearing. and i, I can can you talk about how you chose your your point of view characters? Sure. yeah,
1: they, they well, Charlie was a short story originally, but basically the the three different perspectives um once they all converges february's hearing she's a coda um which is a child of deaf deaf adults as you may have heard
2: (laughs) recently right Um,
1: no reason but anyway so (laughs) she's um a native asl speaker but she's also kind of like operating in this liminal space where she feels like She's of deaf culture and she is, but then when she walks out the door, she's still a hearing person. Um, And then Charlie is somebody who grew up really isolated from the deaf community. She has a cochlear implant and she was basically expected to just perform normalcy in the hearing world in public school um, and it didn't work very well. And then Austin is from a multi-generational deaf family. He grew up just fully surrounded by deaf people. And he's basically living the deaf version of what hearing people (laughs) just like take for granted, right? Like everyone around me in my house speaks the language that I speak. And we all share this one culture. So, and that's a point of pride for his family as well. And for the community too, because they're kind of like the bearers of asl and, and deaf history in a way the family units that are deaf families are the ones that kind of like carry it through when when schools start to ban asl or or go into these oralist modes you still have deaf families that are kind of like the keepers of deaf culture and and asl
0: right charlie was a, such a great window because she needed this community and she's also learning about it at the same time, so it was it was great for a um, a hearing person reading this to to kind of be getting this this history that she's never heard, but also I have not heard or I've not been uh, um, taught. So I was very okay. I was totally interested in that. And um, one of the one of the one corner of deaf life that you illuminated is all the techniques for signing stories, like the subtle shoulder shifts to mean like a different uh, person or the way you move your hands to mean different types of things. And I was curious if regular prose feels restrictive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <No. laughs> so Yes. Yes. And particularly for this book, because I wanted to be able to in some way represent ASL on the page, and it's the page is so flat, and, <laughs> and, and ASL is so not. So that was something that I sh- struggled with a lot in the early part of the book, um, kind of trying to decide how do I show ASL on paper, how do I also differentiate between ASL and English because I was thinking originally one of the like first things that very obvious difference between asl and english is the syntax it's basically backwards so i was like okay maybe i can just write it in asl syntax Mm. Um, but then i thought like for a hearing reader that's just gonna look like quote unquote broken english and that's not showing them the point which is that it's actually better than english particularly (laughs) for these characters so I, the way that the dialogue ended up getting set up in the book is um, basically spatial um, dialogue tags, essentially. So mm-hmm. people speak from different places on the page, and that's kind of where they're set up, um, which mirrors the way that if I was telling you a story in ASL, I could kind of set people up around me like that. And then if I just like point back over there, you remember who I was talking about. So <laughs> they, have places from which they speak in a given chapter and because it's visually sets the dialogue far apart from each other rather than just like a new line when you speak in english i hope that it kind of illustrates that asl for the deaf characters and even for february is like a much clearer way of communicating Um, and obviously it's making a visual it's a visual
0: separation as well it was It was very effective, and it was also exciting to see this mixed in with not just regular prose and dialogue tags, but also with text messages and technology, Um, because your last novel was sort of a period piece. I don't know if you would necessarily think (laughs) of that for something that's partially said in the early 2000s and the 90s, but it is. That was 30 and 20 years ago. Um, But... (laughs) But True Biz is is very much set in the now. Um, and and it was another thing that I had just never thought about that Charlie is being introduced to all of this, these phone apps and these things that she'd never had access to before. And I I wanted to know about your relationship with technology. Obviously, you bought a webcam too. So there's there's that in the mix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and also what technology means for story for you.
1: Yeah, I think technology makes fiction writing harder in a lot of ways, but you know, for the deaf community, deaf people are historically really early adopters of technology because um, we're not located in one specific place uh, the way that another cultural or ethnic group might be. So we've always needed to figure out ways to communicate with one another even before. Um, you know the internet. <laughs> so, like for example, in the '60s, we were kind of ripping the like guts out of uh, I don't even know what you call this. I guess it's like a tele, sort of a telegram. Mm. Like a, the the Western Union machines. People were going to the dump and ripping them the guts out of that and attaching it to a typewriter and a phone line. So basically, you can text each other. Wow. Um, before texting existed so that has always been a part of deaf culture and also a big part today of how we communicate with the hearing world too like for me if i'm going to go into a store and everyone has a mask on then i'm just going to type something on my phone and we're all going to move on with our lives (laughs) right so yeah the fact that charlie just has never met another deaf person before so she just it never really occurred to her because she had always been taught basically like the burden of communication is on you and you have to like do it this very specific way or you're doing it wrong. And so, and so that's one of the things that River Valley opens up for her. I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, at that moment, I don't know, my heart was just breaking for her that she hadn't had that community and I love the community that you that you built, um, River Valley. Is it based on anything? No, it's
1: it's a fake place. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I started the very early parts of this book writing it while I was living in Cincinnati. So like the landscape of Colson, which is also a fake place, was things that I was just stealing from looking around. But I I like this Southern Ohio as a space for this school because of the way that it serves so many different communities and the way that the Kentucky and the Ohio border works there was fascinating to me. So I kind of was like, what if you put this school in the middle of it and all these people are coming and it's a hub. Um, but that that is how, I mean, this this school is fiction, but that is how deaf schools function in general, because again, they're like the harb- the the carriers of, Deaf culture. There's no other. Like, there's no real life. There's no homeland. Mm. Um, so it's it's the school. It's in the schools.
0: Yeah. So we're we're in the space. We're recording this a week before your novel comes out, and I'm just curious how you're feeling. I want to know how does this compare to how you felt when you were releasing Girl at War versus Troop Is. What what's, what's different this time around?
1: Well, girl at war, I was a wreck. And I was just like, I had no idea what to expect. I was freaking out. I was not eating properly. I was just like, I was totally a ball of nerves. And this time I am feeling nervous and feeling like I don't want hearing people to read this one book and then stop and be like, okay, check, (laughs) deaf people, I get it now. And, you know, there's so much talent in the deaf community in theater, in writing and in film. And I think like, I just want there to be a multiplicity of narratives out there. So that's something that I'm worried about, like this kind of people putting a lot of weight of, of representation on what is obviously just you know a few perspectives of these characters that I made up but also I'm really excited like when I when I released Girl at War I went to a bunch of deaf schools and talked to all the kids and we like did book clubs at lunch and we talked about why you should write and read and what's the importance of that and I really like the idea that maybe they can read this book and actually see people like them I'm I i did not read a book with a deaf person in it until grad school. And it was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And all the deaf people go crazy and die. And I was like, well, that's was kind of a bummer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that there's joy in this book. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that that deaf Kids and deaf people will enjoy seeing a little bit of themselves in a book
0: too. I feel like that'd be really cool, um, and I'm 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 hopeful for that for you too. You write about these closed communities in these sort of um, didactic sections. You you write about the Martha's Vineyard um, ASL, and and also that that idea of the utopian. I. I I, I. that was a um, that was a world that I was very interested in after coming away from reading your book
2: yeah there I mean
1: they don't exist so much anymore there are a few places left in the country where per capita there's a ton of deaf people like Rochester and uh, DC where you can kind of like walk around and live a life and and be deaf without anyone thinking it's weird like in pretty much any other place in the US, um, people are really combative (laughs) with you because they're like mad at you because they think they're ignoring them or something. Um, So it's not a closed community, but at least there are places where you can just like, the assumption is not that you're an asshole, basically how we're operating everywhere else. But (laughs) um, I mean, they don't, yeah, they don't fully exist. And I think that deaf schools are kind of like, the closest that we can get to that today, mm. in a way,
0: the but, closest we can get to to Ith.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless we like secede, <laughs> and it's a deaf we we get a deaf republic, just like you know, Elia's book. Uh, it's 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 funny because I think the hearing perspective is so it leans so heavily towards like integration into mainstream school and like in the educational sphere, the idea of the least restrictive environment, which means we put you in the mainstream classroom with like the least amount of support possible (laughs) so that you can like be normal, quote, quote, air quotes. Um, But I always kind of Push back on that and say, like, what if the least restrictive environment is the place where you can actually talk to your teacher without, like, an interpreter, or you can actually talk to any one of your classmates, or you can do an extracurricular activity? Like, what what the hearing world views as a restriction is actually freedom, and that is what you get out of a uh, out of like a more closed loop community, like a deaf school, or obviously Martha's Vineyard. I mean, what makes Martha's Vineyard unique is actually that it was deaf and hearing people, but the hearing people kind of got on board.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That utopia that they that we speak of is actually of available to us if more people just learn to sign. Um, and I, I I felt that while I was reading um, my own lack and. I was, I was honestly pained watching the pages like dwindle. I just wanted to know, is there more in the true biz world? Are we going to get more of these characters? Is there, is there a sequel in your mind? Could you return to these characters and how do you feel about sequels in general?
1: I don't think I have sequels in me as a human. Because people ask me the same thing about Girl at War. They're like, but what happened to her, you know? (laughs) Right. And I was like, I oh, don't know, she went back to college. I what do you <laughs> want from me? Um, I think the actually, so there is more on the cutting room floor. There's like a hundred bonus pages of Elliot around um, that kind of detail his descent oh. into this church and the whole yeah, that, thing that's going on over
0: there. <laughs> Elliot's late breaking story is so harrowing and so sudden like I wasn't expecting to get a full new drop in of a character like that and it was very effective
1: thanks yeah no there's so there's a lot there's a lot more of that that probably no one will ever read but the other thing is right now we're developing a tv series it's really early days so it's like maybe it will never get made but I do feel like I'm not bored of these characters yet, and like we've been playing with like, well, what if this was the first season? Like, what happens next? Mm-hmm. So that's been really fun, and you know, something that I've like never tried to do before, and also in a form that I haven't tried to do, and in a in a way that I haven't tried to do because it's very collaborative, and writing True is was very like me locked in my room by myself for five years or whatever so it's all kind of cool to share the characters with another writer and kind of think like what are the possibilities that i wouldn't even have come up with myself
0: that is so exciting i would love a true biz tv show me too (laughs) (laughs) oh good i'm glad we're all agreeing You brought along a book that also details a community, um, The Days of Africetti by Asali Solomon. And it is such an interesting book. Um, Can you tell me why you suggested it?
1: Sure. I mean, I don't have a very like smart reason besides I really like reading about Philly and I, uh, this book is beautiful and not exactly what i expected when i started reading it but kind of perfectly i think the new york times review of it calls it like a feat of engineering or something which Mm. sounded to me like a weird way to (laughs) to describe a book but then when i read the book i was like yes actually so basically it's set around a dinner party that this family is having um, Lizette. I think is is the uh, wife's name, and her husband, Win, just lost a, po- a, a bid for political office, like local, like state rep, or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're having a dinner for to thank their donors and kind of like a consolation <laughs> dinner. And she's also got information that maybe her husband has done something wrong, money wise, and maybe the FBI is watching him or coming for him. And that's kind of like the setup is everyone's about to come over to their house. Um, But it also moves through time back through time and around. And um, specifically, like to this relationship that she had in college, romantic relationship with a woman named Selena, Serena, Mm -hmm. Selena. Anyway, yeah. So that's the kind of the gist of it. But it's a really beautiful book. It's a little slim book, which is
2: nice.
0: Yeah, I love I love a book that clocks in under two hundred pages and has, you know, your your book did this too. Like, just there's like two hundred pages and there's forty chapters. There's just like every few pages. I love a moving. short chapter. Yes. Yeah, it's the best. It's so propulsive. <laughs> yeah. A feat of engineering is a fantastic way <laughs> to describe that because it feels so organic the way that she comes away from it. And then when you come back into the room, it's like, oh, right, I'm here with you. I'm, I, I remember now you were just talking to that one person.
1: I think in the hands of a lesser writer, this would be a very like vanilla book almost because you're like, okay, a flashback to somewhere else. Okay, back to the table. But it never feels like, That. And I don't even know exactly how she did it. It's magic, a little bit. I think that the moving back and forth in time and the short chapters is just, it's really propulsive. It's like eating a row of Oreos or something. You know, (laughs) I was like, I have to read the next chapter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also loved the way that she cites media. Um, the way that her characters interact with songs and movies and TV shows, it's just very considered and 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 warm. And there was a point where she even sort of name checks Virginia Woolf, which I thought was so um, confident because she's clearly sort of messing around with a little bit of Dalloway, Mrs. Dalloway, or To the Lighthouse. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I know a couple Mrs. Dalloway diehards and I was like, I've got another one like to put in your, like, r- <laughs> r- like Mrs. Dalloway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that you, you've just finished Parakeet by Marie Helen Bertino, now it's time for Days of <laughs> Africetti.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a beautiful book. I think it's also, there's like a few times where super deadpan humor. There's like, I think the moment when she first meets selena <laughs> there's a line that's like there's a long pause during which she died or something <laughs> where she was like feeling really awkward and i was like i laughed out loud a few times during this book and it was all that very like small things that the narrator just kind of like drop drops in for for your viewing pleasure <laughs> and, um...
0: i i completely agree i mean she's so adept at, at quickly just like three lines and you know the whole character and you know that sort of quick sum up is can also be extremely humorous.
1: I think a lot of it does play with the tension you know there's tension at this dinner party Lizelle's like tension between like what's going on in her head and what's actually happening there there's all these like kind of you know there is examination of class and race going on and these like awkward people who have given money to this campaign, who just are saying some things, and you're like, oh, God, just stop talking, please.
2: making
1: <laughs> me st- stressing me out.
0: <laughs> my favorite comedic moment was when a donor, uh, a, a, a related donor, is like, okay, so you didn't win, so give me my money back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she wants her money back. And I was like, damn, isn't that Uh-oh.
2: your aunt or something? <laughs> yeah.
0: I was I was so drawn in so immediately with like the all the layers of tension, but at the same time it's not like it's not like a drawn top book. It's not like you're waiting for the hammer of the FBI to come down at any moment, even <laughs> though that that could happen. It's more it's quieter because you're following her as she's like, how do I even end up in this moment? How do I end up married? I don't want to be married or, you know, just, just all of that thought, which feels, you know, it it was funny how much empathy and sympathy you're, you're feeling throughout.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the, the cool thing about this book is that it's compelling, not, you know, not because you're waiting for the FBI, but actually the existential (laughs) crisis is the more interesting part than the like physical, threat that could actually happen
0: i i really um i was i was really drawn to also when you run into an ex in a random place and you suddenly have to like be a normal (laughs) person and act like oh yeah i see you sometimes and this is normal and the way that the the she responds like oh hey and she describes her as like oh as though i see her all the time and (laughs) we had just been separated in this store I just, I know how that feels. It's like, how, how are you cool? And I am not in this moment. Yeah.
1: And she was obviously not cool, right? Like from her physical appearance later and and what we know of her mental state, but still you can like totally, (laughs) totally feel yourself in Lizelle's shoes where you're like, "Ah, why am I so bad at this, you know?
0: Yeah. In the way that this is sort of Dalloway-esque and, you know, you can put this on the stack of Dalloway-esque books, are there any authors that when when someone says, oh, this is like them, this is in this realm, that, that you kind of jump for? Is there any style that it's like, oh, if you describe it like that, I'm in? I mean,
1: I think Sebald probably. If you tell me it's going to be like Sebald, I want to read it. Um, hmm. Maybe Ferrante too, like. I'm, yeah. I'm down. I'm down for, like, a mad lady <laughs> in, <laughs> in the book. Actually, True is kind of came out of, like, a light fangirl dumb of Celestine and the way that she kind of starts all her books by telling you the ending and then somehow you still care <laughs> right. for the rest of the book. It's like, I want to try that. Um, so, yeah, anything that's, like i got Celestine vibes, and
2: I'm, I'm here for
0: it. <laughs> so the minute someone describes true biz as little filers everywhere, um, but with a deaf school, you know, is that that you'll know it's arrived?
1: Yeah, then I pass out somewhere probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I so loved Days of Afriketti. I feel like anybody Who's looking for a shorter read? I mean, if any, if any of the things that we've talked about about it so far, like interesting to you, just go pick it up. And also, I can highly recommend, of course, your novel, True Biz. Uh, but now we're moving into the recommendation portion of the show, and uh, I feel like not recommending a book at all. And that's not just because I have not. I've been reading some of books and putting them aside, I've been doing that with a lot of different books. True Biz and Days of Africetti are like the only things I've been, I've finished recently um, for whatever reason. I think partially because I've been re-watching Mad Men and that's just the, like taking up all of the space in my head. So my recommendation for this week, uh, for this episode, is to go and bake a loaf of bread. I have recently started getting into baking um peasant bread peasant loaves, which is really just
1: what does uh, that mean tell me yeah
0: it's just flour water, and yeast and oil like it's very, very simple, and I think the peasant bread just comes from the fact that it's simple um and it's like a it's not like a overnight rise or anything it's just a couple of hours, and it makes a really nice piece of bread that um i i've been getting into toast (laughs) i feel so old saying that but you could put so many good things on toast and like you you you're in you end up in this cycle where you buy a bunch of fun jams and spreads for your toast and then you have all these spreads so you have to bake more bread
1: and then you can put
0: them in a cocktail, and then you end up putting them <laughs> in a cocktail because you've bought too many jams. So bake a loaf of bread. It's it's an incredible. It's it's so fun. I, I I'm not. I, I love baking, but I it, this is my first try at using like yeast and things, and uh, I am surprised at the how pretty much every single one of these peasant bread loaves has come out edible so i'm i'm feeling like if i can do it anybody can do it and it makes your whole apartment or house smell amazing there's just you know the list goes on and on for why You're making
1: me want bread <laughs> why, why
0: you should <laughs> bake some bread
1: i love uh i love a good loaf of bread
0: yeah so what do you recommend
1: i don't even know what am i doing in my <laughs> life right now
0: you can recommend anything you like—movies, TV.
1: Uh, just blasting "Industry Baby" into my head via my hearing aids have Bluetooth, just like on a loop for the past week. The Little Nas X song, just over and over again. So I don't know if I can recommend that. I find it delightful,
2: but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a that's that's a triumphant song vibe yeah <laughs> he was my most listened to artist last year so i i i get it
1: oh that's lucky mine was like my i have a two-year-old he's obsessed with taylor swift so i think <laughs> our spotify is just like some good things and just all taylor swift i mean it's better than like if it was barney i guess um but to your bread recommendation uh the other thing that the the child and i like to do is um make pasta he's obsessed with the pasta cranker noodle making machine okay so very similar dough it's just flour and water pretty much and then you roll it out and you slide it through that thing you get spaghetti it's magic every time
0: So we're basically just leaving the gluten-free people out right now, and just saying like, let's. We recommend carbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it. It makes sense. That's we're we need our comforts right now. You can find comfort on a plate. Uh, you can find comfort in a bookstore.
1: Maybe you can read a book while eating a slice of toast, and with, really live your with best pasta life. Pasta
0: on it eating a slice of pasta That's
1: some noodles on it (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: disgusting don't do that well we don't don't (laughs) recommend (laughs) that's i mean do you do you if that's gonna bring you joy (laughs) i don't understand it but you could well seriously i feel So excited to be evangelical about True Biz. It is a really exciting book that I, (laughs) you know, I could read a dozen of these. So
1: Thanks for reading it. It's still I'm still in the stage where it feels weird that people are reading it. So I'm I'm glad you have it in your hand over there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) do. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) And to the people out there. In podcast land, whatever you're doing, folding your clothes, running, walking the dog. Uh, you know, I really appreciate it when you go on Patreon.com SMDB and give me money. I also really, really appreciate it when you go to iTunes and give me a nice review. If you're going to do nice things for the show, I would appreciate both of those things. And of course, the other thing you should absolutely do is go buy Sarah's book, True Biz, available now from all the cool bookstores. Um, Go and prove your own coolness by asking for it. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. This was very fun.
0: I'm so glad.
1: Even if only water in my cup. (laughs) Still a good time. (laughs) Ha <laughs>